We all know that a long, long time ago, one December Eve, Ebenezer Scrooge was visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. So maybe it's only fitting that this Christmas season will be visited by one Ebenezer Scrooge. Bah. Humbug. Christmas humbug, Uncle Ebenezer? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? If I had my way, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stick of holly through his heart. Yep, say bah humbug if you want, but since Charles Dickens invented Scrooge back in 1843 in his story A Christmas Carol, Scrooge has become an indispensable part of the holidays, as popular in his own way as Santa Claus. We've seen more than a hundred adaptations of A Christmas Carol on stage and screen, and another seems to pop up just about every year. We'll be talking about some of those adaptations here, but more than that, we'll talk about the story itself. Why, after 180 years, is it still so popular? And why are we still retelling it today? What does A Christmas Carol's popularity say about the story and about us? Hi, I'm Paul Acey, filling in for Ebenezer Holtz for this episode of The Plugged In Show. Ebenezer. And I'm joined by Emily Chow, Bob Hoos, and Kristen Smith. Welcome. Hello. Hello. So, we are going to, since we're talking so much about... Yes, for those yeah. of you who don't know, that was the voice talent of Mr. Bob Hoops. Very good, Mr. Well, Hoops. Talent, maybe. Yeah, just no round of applause not for you right now. So since we're talking about A Christmas Carol, we might as well break the ice by talking about it a little bit beforehand. So when was the first time you became aware of A Christmas Carol? What was the first rendition that you saw of A Christmas Carol or heard of The Christmas Carol? And what impacted you back then? Emily. Okay, so this is always my answer for a Christmas Carol, and it's Muppets Christmas yes, Carol. Yes. It is the only one in my, like that is the best one. Yep, there, that's it. That's my whole answer. <laughs> <laughs> it, that is a good one. Uh, but I think my first exposure was when I was a kid and saw the Mister Magoo uh, Christmas really? Carol. Really? Yeah, I, I mean, wow. I know there was a Mister yeah, Magoo. Yeah, was, I didn't know well, it, I mean, it's obviously not, not the full <laughs> Christmas Carol. It's sort of a truncated little thing, but. But in terms of exposure to the idea, the concept, that was mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. So I think my first exposure was honestly in the book. Like my parents had this big old book full of Christmas. So you games, read right? the original Charles well, Dickens. Well, here's the thing. I did not <laughs> At four. read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not read it, but it had these great illustrations. And it had this oh, picture cool. of Marley's ghost, mm-hmm. yeah. which was terrifying. Mm-hmm. It totally mesmerized me. And so I really wanted us to read that story well, every Christmas. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, since so many people haven't not read the story, mm-hmm. and yet it's not really a long story story. No, it's, it's not. It's, in terms of the book length, it's like 60-some pages long. Yeah. It really was written for children, because like, that used to be the thing. It's like, if you were a young kid, you read Charles Dickens. I, I mean, not anymore, because... Not to be rude, but people don't know how to read anymore. <laughs> but but yeah, no, like I, I think that a lot of people probably got their exposure, if not directly from the book, then from someone who did read the book, you know? Mm-hmm. I think mine... I mean, I remember Mickey, and I remember (laughs) Muppets. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as far as like one of the non-animated ones, I think it was the 1984 
oh, Christmas Carol. George C. Scott? Yes, I believe so. I think that was my first one. And I remember also being terrified um, because, I mean, there are some creepy scenes. There are some creepy scenes. Yeah. It's really yeah. scary sometimes. My family used to go every Christmas. We would go um, to the Shakespeare Festival and we would oh, watch them fun. perform it. It was so much fun. And that was like a family tradition until we all moved. <laughs> wow. And, cool. and, and by the way, just as a side note, the George C. Scott one, um, it isn't my favorite, but the the guy who played Jacob Marley yes. is my favorite rendition of that character. Hmm. Yeah. That's in, interesting. In that movie. That's interesting. So that sort of just brings us right into the conversation, right? This story has been around for 180 years, as I said. <laughs> the very first screen adaptation actually happened in 1901. Wow. You can watch it on YouTube. It's called Marley's Ghost. It lasts a total of four minutes. Is it a mm. silent film? Silent it film? is a silent yeah, film. Yeah, I was going to say because they didn't have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Talking a it's a really then. fascinating thing to to watch it because it still hits the beats, right? The yeah. familiar beats. Why are we still so um, immersed in this story around this time of year? What makes it so popular? It is just. I mean, it really is crazy because it's almost two hundred years old. But I think it's just it's a story of transformation like just a person really changing who they are um and it's a story of redemption and it's a story of hope and i think people just cling to that especially around the holiday season like that's what you want around christmas you want redemption you want hope yeah Mm -hmm. a number of people look at the uh at the story and they say, oh, it's all about smashing down on greed and all that sort of thing. And that's certainly a, an element there. But I personally have never seen it as that being the real purpose of the story. Mm-hmm. I think I think Dickens' purpose was to point to the poor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to say the poor was still a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think he was pointing to the poor and saying, you know, we can make a difference. It's not sending them to poor houses. It's to, it's, in fact, I think a big part of what he did with Scrooge was to say that that the employer was in a way responsible for his employees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know if that really resonates still today, but that I think was a big part of what Dickens wanted to do with this story. But I'm with, um, with Emily. I think redemption is mm-hmm. a huge part of this story. The thing that I love about it is Scrooge isn't just a curmudgeon. He isn't just a greedy man. Yeah. He's a man who's lost mm-hmm. so much mm. because of his choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has a chance for redemption. And I think for us as people of faith, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, our, our lives are focused on the idea of redemption. Uh, now, this story is a very secular one, but mm-hmm. still, it's it's an important part of it, I think. I think that's a really great point because you're right. The story is fairly secular, which means, mm-hmm. you know, at Christmas time, you don't have to be a Christian to enjoy a Christmas carol and to feel that resonance. But it really is this story of this sinner who finds salvation in right. a way mm-hmm. through this mystical evening. That's why so many churches put it on stage mm-hmm. at Christmas time. Yeah. 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 I also think that there's something about the Victorian setting, even just the Mm -hmm. setting that we've sort of drawn in. It's become sort of this Christmas thing. We Mm -hmm. think of these old snowy Victorian streets. Cobblestones. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, there's even just some elements, you know, with um, his office being super cold and, you know, everybody's like 
freezing at his office because he doesn't want to give them the coal One for the fire. One lump of coal. Yeah, you know. So I mean, like that doesn't apply to today's. You know, um, like nowadays they'll tell you, no, you got to keep your heat at a minimum, otherwise your pipes are going to burst. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. I really like the element of like like everyone was saying like greed and selfishness is combated here with like sacrifice, kindness and charity. And I think those resound, but I also really think that the ghosts play an element on like why this is so interesting because you can add so much character and people do. Each each go around, you can kind of add your own personal flair to these ghosts and what they bring to the table. Right. And that was like my favorite part because each like new iteration it's like, "Oh, that's a different Oh, yeah. That's absolutely. a different way to view that, well, well, you know? Like, like you were saying, I think that does appeal to kids. Yes. You know, you don't think of, okay, a Christmas story being a ghost right. story. Yeah. Right. But, but it does appeal to kids. It draws them in. The idea of these spirits that are that are showing him his past, his present, and possibly his future. Yeah. And and I, I it's just, it's a cool idea. It is interesting, that ghostly element, right? I mean, when I hear that, you can add so much to that, right? Mm-hmm. They become these metaphorical figures. But it also makes it, you know, I, I think as a kid, you watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and there's only so many times you can do that. You know, <laughs> Frosty the Snowman. Some of these, some of these more very kid-friendly shows the Christmas Carol can actually sort of draw you in for a longer. Well, there's depth of character. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, not not to like hate on Rudolph or Frosty, but like, <laughs> no, you, you kind of get like the one element and that's that. But like, that's kind of the point is that there's so much depth of character and people are able to spin it in different ways and still get to the heart of what yeah. Dickens was trying and to do. And that's why we've seen so many versions. Yes. I, yes. You know, you were, you were mentioning it's over 100. When I checked online, it was 135. Oh, my wow. 135 ver- films of this story. That's which is incredible. Crazy. Which is even more crazy when you think about the fact that they've only been making them since 1901. So that's what, uh, 20, 122 years? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Like, so 135. That means that some years you had more than more one than coming one out. Year, yeah. <laughs> so that brings us up to what is your favorite rendition of A Christmas Carol? Muppets, right? Yes. Muppets. I don't know. I was So I was going through on Google and like looking at some of the ones because I've seen I think a decent amount of them probably not as much as you guys um, but because we're so old that's what you're saying <laughs> I didn't say that <laughs> wasn't there when the stone just kidding um, <laughs> but I remember watching the one in 2004 with Kelsey Grammer and is it Jane Krakowski is that how you say her name I believe so yeah. and Jane Krakowski she's funny and then there was the one in 1999 with, I remember the ghost of Christmas present. So I, again, I'm looking at all these and he has like a soft green robe and he's hysterical. <laughs> and I just, I was like looking through these reminiscing like, oh, okay. They're so, it's been a while since I've sat down to watch these um, because I have little kids who want to watch Rudolph and Elf or whatever. <laughs> um, but now I'm kind of getting excited to to rewatch some of these renditions. Yeah. Well, I will tell you the very best one well, to please. watch. <laughs> it's, it's a 1951. 1950- one version Ooh. with Alistair Sim, and uh, and it is excellent. It's got all the old Hollywood sort of feel about it. So it's not. It doesn't feel. See, sometimes when you get to the modern uh, versions, they feel sort of grubby and mm-hmm. dirty, and everything's got smoke and coal dust everywhere. But the nice thing about a, a nice old Hollywood version is that even when you're talking about 
dark and sad and depressing things, it can still feel a little better because it's mm. all on a Hollywood set. Mm. Mm. It can it can still feel a little bit uh, cheerier because there's an underscore that's that's sweet, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and this one is just actually pretty much the perfect version. Wow, it's a bold the statement. Perfect, the perfect version. version. And here's wow. why. Here's why. Because not only does it introduce these characters that you really start to care about, even Scrooge, you get to a point where you say, man, I I hope this guy does the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> but the but it's it's got all these elements in there when it's looking back at his past and and at his at the potential of his future. All these elements about family. It really mm. focuses on the Cratchits mm. yeah. a lot. And it focuses on faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is That's se- interesting. It's a secular movie, but there are there are elements of faith all the way through this. When when the Cratchits are really sad, and I won't say why in case that's a giveaway, <laughs> when the Cratchits <laughs> get really sad, they sit around a table and they read scripture. Mm. When, when, huh. uh, when you've got uh, uh, Scrooge's... Love For, former love interest, mm-hmm. they show her, and she's serving the poor, and she's helping feed people, and and there's a pastor there reading scripture, and you've got people that are singing hymns. So there's faith all the way through this thing, mm-hmm. and a real focus on the family and how the family, through faith, is able to carry people through really tough times. Yeah, yeah. It, It's a great version of the So story. the 1951 version. 1951 with Alistair Sim. That's interesting. And it gets back to what you were talking about, Kristen, uh, as far as the depth they, they give Scrooge, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That multidimensional... It, that's one of the things I love about this story is that you do have this possibility of digging deeper into what really could be a two-dimensional villain, right? Yeah. You see the dimensions when you see his past. Yeah. And it encourages us to have empathy for those who might not be as easy to get along with. What's your favorite one? I mean, you know, I felt like I missed an opportunity there. You were talking about not getting along with people. Anyway, <laughs> my bad. What's your favorite? Could have had a singer right I know, there. I tried so hard. So my favorite one, I really do like the 1951 version. Um, I have think you really that seen it? Or did you just go I off of what really, who said? I really have seen okay. it. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, but I have to say right now, I'm a little partial still toward a problematic movie that we talked about a bunch last year. Oh. Spirited. I knew oh, you were the new say one, that. yeah. Yeah. New. Yeah. It's not exactly a Christmas carol, right? Because it's it takes it into a modern day setting. And it has Will Farrell and Ryan Reynolds yeah. and singing what? and dancing. I've never seen this. Oh it's much funnier than your average Christmas. Yes. It Christmas. is okay. it is it has so many plugged in problems. Be sure to read the review. But for me, it <laughs> impacted me deeply because it talks so much about the idea of redemption and can people change which is the ultimate purpose of Mm -hmm. this story right do people change and so it walks us through there but that raises a very interesting issue you know with all of these different Christmas carols do they change through the years representing the time that they were actually created in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think that that I think the answer is yes yeah I would say yeah yes I would agree with you so can you give us some examples yeah, of well, where I, you've seen I can, that? I can. Well, I just talked about the, the 1951 mm-hmm. version that was all about family and faith and about all the things that, that Scrooge had lost. And he realizes that. And that's what turns him around and, say, and he says, 
I need some kind of redemption. At first he says, I'm too old. Then he says, no, I need this. I have to have this. Not because simply because he's scared he's going to die and be alone and lonely, but because he realizes all he has lost and he wants to grab a hold of at least a little bit of it. Mm. Whereas, whereas a lot of the modern versions sort of throw a lot of that away. I saw, I saw it, it was a, what was it, 2019? It was a version with Guy Pierce. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, no. but it it's incredibly well produced. I mean, when you get to to see the environment that they create, it's so well made, and yet the the director and designers sort of turn it into a horror story. Oh, that's they interesting. take that ghost element, mm-hmm. and it, and it's kind of nasty. I, I I was thinking about it. It's it really represents. A lot of these modern themes that are being put mm. back in this 1844 time period, and it makes the film darker. It makes the film nastier. I think, in a way, it sort of reflects our time mm-hmm. in terms of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I'm thinking of the Bill Murray version, Scrooged. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, mm-hmm. that one. I think it was made in the 80s. Yep. yep. Am I yep. correct? Yeah. So 1988. Like that one is very much like a film of the 80s. Like mm-hmm. think of an, a classic 80s film and mm-hmm. yeah, it hits all the points. Like very much a reflection of what the 80s were. Um the good and the bad, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting when you look over the whole span of these movies because they really do give a weird little lens into our culture. I mean, so many of them follow the story, you know, step for step, but they add these creepy little elements. Sometimes some take some very, very serious liberties with the story like they do in Scrooge, like they do in Spirited, um, that also reflect our time. It's kind of a fascinating way back machine, if you will. And and they sometimes cut out some of the big points mm-hmm. of the original story like um, uh, the element where the uh, Christmas present opens his robes and there are the two children yeah. down below you very rarely I- see ignorance that. and want mm-hmm. yeah we don't we don't see that in, in modern versions mm-hmm. I was gonna say that's not in the Muppets version no? yeah so speaking of the Muppets version okay <laughs> I, I really do need to get back to here because I hear great things about it this is one version I have never seen Wow so what makes that a good version just Okay, really and truly, the music. Yeah, it's a musical. It's a musical, yeah. man. And um, and also Michael Caine is playing Scrooge, and he's perfect in it. Um, and I don't know. I feel like that story it um, it goes back to a childlike innocence because we're dealing with the Muppets, yeah. you know. So it really makes it, in my opinion, just more accessible to families in general because it's like. Because you're dealing with these fun characters and, you know, we all know the Muppets. They each have their own, like, personality. Mm -hmm. Somehow they were able to craft the story without losing the personalities of the, of, you know, Miss Piggy, of um, Kermit the Frog, of Gonzo, you know. And Gonzo actually narrates it as Charles Dickens (laughs) and he's hilarious, you know. So it's just like... Like I said, I feel like it it kind of has that innocent draw to it that makes it more accessible. Um, and again, the music, like I cannot stress enough the music. Plus it <laughs> so depends good. on like, I mean, I watched it as a kid mm. because you're not going to turn on the 2014, 2019 version. That's all yeah. slash horror film. <laughs> you're going to turn on the one that everyone can watch. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to watch good the memories. one that makes you, that makes you feel just like 
blue warm fuzzy feelings. <laughs> I do like through all of them though, like I love the perspective of Scrooge is getting like this mirror into his life mm-hmm. because I feel like that's something that's in, in every single one of them. And I think that was, even as a kid, I remember thinking this isn't something that people get second chances, yeah. you know? And he gets this mirror into like his actions at all stages of his life, which I really enjoyed. You know, another thing I really like about A Christmas Carol, just because it has been around for so long, and it just gets back to what you were talking about. You watch this as a kid, right? This is truly a multi-generational story where you can share it, you know, the Muppets version you can share with your own kids. There's not too much problematic in there. You uh, know that your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents were familiar with the story. When we think about, you know, Christmas traditions, Man, it doesn't get much more traditional. Yeah, than Christmas, yeah that's true. Right? There's not a lot you can pass down like that yeah. for that many generations. And and an interesting thing, speaking of tradition, you know, back when Dickens wrote it, there was they didn't have the tradition of the Christmas tree. I mean, mm-hmm. some people did, but uh, it, it really wasn't until right around that time that it was sort of adapted from Germany. Yeah, but but oh, that's why that's why in Christmas Carol you never see Christmas trees. Which, mm-hmm. e- even though you think Christmas, you think Christmas trees, and it's just not a part of it. Yeah. See, that's hilarious because you're absolutely correct. But um, I'm thinking about like many of the renditions that I've seen have had a big old Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of funny because it's like mm, you didn't do your research. <laughs> Flexes with the times, right? Flexes that's true. with that's the times. Yeah. So on our last note, I just wanted to ask a really quick question. We talked a little bit about how this story, because of the ghostly elements, it might draw kids, might draw teens. As a parent, are there things that we can talk about with our kids as we watch A Christmas Carol? What sort of themes can we discuss with them? Well, to just give everybody the really easy Christian theme, (laughs) Um, you know, at the end of the I was thinking about it as we were all sitting here discussing this. I thought about... um, you know, we're talking about can people really change? And I thought about the story where the rich man goes to Jesus and says, I followed all the laws all my life. Like, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And he was like, sell everything you own. And the guy walked away sad. And it's like, I mean, that really kind of, well, Scrooge was not a nice person. Don't get me wrong. But like at the end of the story, he does, he gives away everything. He's giving his money to the poor. He's buying things for the poor. He's trying to, he really just gives over his life to, really what is a Christian um, command to care for the poor, you know? Um, And maybe that was, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, Hoos, about um, Charles Dickens' message about the poor. Maybe it's going back to that a little bit, but I think that's definitely something we can talk to our kids about. I kind of like the element of um, asking why Scrooge is the way he is. Mm -hmm. Like what's happened in his life for him to get to this point. Um, because no. life is a series of choices. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, my poor kids, they know. I'm like, whose choice <laughs> is this? And they're like, my choice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I want my kid, like, you have a choice in, in everything. Um, and so I kind of like that side and we can, And we can point out that we all make bad choices. Totally. It, we're all kind of like Scrooge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we do silly, stupid things sometimes that hurt other people, even when we're not intending to do so. We still do it, and we we do as Christians, especially, have an opportunity 
to find that redemption that we've been talking about and that the story talks about. We have that opportunity to find a pure sense of redemption. Yeah, I love that. Because as you say, we are all a little bit Scrooge-ish. Yeah. And that's the whole purpose of the gospel. Right. Right. I feel like Hoos needs to narrate all of this. <laughs> like he, he needs to be the narrator over this entire thing. His like voice drops just at the right place. Anyway, let's move on. Sorry, God. Thanks, guys. You bet. So we've been talking a lot about Scrooge today, uh, but Disney Plus is preparing to make a move that might make parents feel a little Scrooge-ish themselves. So we have Adam Holtz with us today to talk a little bit about it. Adam, you wrote a blog on this new development in Disney Plus, uh, and Jonathan is here too, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But can you tell us a little bit about it, Adam? Yeah, you know, if you follow entertainment media news, which I do because I'm a wonk and a nerd simultaneously. <laughs> and it's kind of your job. And it's kind of my job. I can vouch for that. <laughs> you may have seen that that Disney just completed a purchase of the last 33% of Hulu. Uh, and, you know, unless you're like a, a stockbroker, your eyes might be glazing over at this point. But here's why that is relevant for our conversation today. Uh, Disney obviously has been pushing Hulu anyway, but they are going to be releasing a new app that completely fuses mm. Disney Plus and Hulu. And that's coming out in March, is that, that right? That comes out in March, but it's in beta testing in December. And and I think that that is really newsworthy for a couple of reasons. I think part of the image and the value proposition from Disney is, hey, it's Disney. You know, it's safe for the whole family. Now, we know that's not necessarily true. <laughs> we have had any number of conversations about Disney's problems in the last few years. But uh, Bob Iger came out and said parents are going to have to prepare to use parental controls. Uh, And I just think it's interesting to think about taking Disney Plus and fusing it with a lot of M and R rated material from Hulu. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, it feels like something totally different. And I wonder how parents are going to respond to that. Well, I think that's a really great question. And I wanted to touch on something really briefly here because you mentioned parental controls. I guess actually Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. encouraging parents to use those controls, which we know that a lot of parents don't do. Now, we know that these parental controls can be helpful tools. Yep for parents. But Jonathan, you've mentioned that they're definitely not a cure-all. When you talk about parental Mm -hmm. controls, what would you say that parents should be doing in addition to actually figuring those things out? Yeah, you know, it's one of those areas where I I always just say, you know, I tell parents, I'm not against parental controls. Let me just go on the record. I mean, I I think it's great. I mean, if if you have, for example, let's just take uh, a channel that's we haven't even discussed it. Let's take like Netflix. If you have Netflix, I think it's good to go into the Netflix settings and examine those parental settings. And there's some settings you can do to where maybe they, your kids won't be able to see some of the more extreme stuff. Most apps, most uh, channels have these things. I, th- I think they're good to use. I think the danger is when we walk away and kind of like, you know, wipe our forehead and go, whew, now they're safe. It's all good. <laughs> you know, and, and, and not think about the fact that our kids have friends whose, right. uh, whose devices they can look at and whose houses they can go to or 
in many cases, uh, they can download onto their own device mm-hmm. and use their friend's sign-in because there's less controls on their friend's Netflix account or whatever. So that's often what happens, and that's why there's just a need for further dialogue about truth so as that our kids encounter the lies. Um, they're able to navigate that. Now, when it comes to parental controls, let me just also just answer, I think the best control out there is no devices in the bedroom at night Mm -hmm. because there's going to be all kinds of stuff that our kids encounter during the day and stuff, but a lot of problems just seem to happen all night long at my parent workshops when parents come up to me and tell me problems with their kids meeting predators of their kids encountering, you know, uh, certain content or their man, they were chatting with a boy all night long, or they found pornography and all night long. I just always constantly hear those words all night long, all night long. And my question is always <laughs> like, so where, where is it that they got this device? Yeah. Oh, well, well they have it. They have it in their room, but I make them put it on the dresser across the room, you know, or whatever. It's like, well, like, well, they took three steps and they grabbed it, you know. I mean, so, so it's one of those things where it's nice for us to be thinking ahead. And I know this is tough. I, in the real world, you know, you take their phone away and, and you forgot about that old phone that dad had that you forgot was even in a drawer and they booted it up and it doesn't even need service. All you got to do is hook it to Wi-Fi and boom, you got every app you want on that device and it's under the mattress. I mean, you know, you almost feel like you need to bring in someone to scan the entire room for electronics. <laughs> but, but I think the no devices in the bedroom and talking to our kids about truth are two of the best parental controls we can have. Yeah, yeah. You know, this conversation, it seems like one of the big issues that it revolves around is that issue of trust, right? Can we yeah. trust these parental controls to keep our kids safe? Disney, I think, used to be, decades ago, a fairly trusted brand for parents. That obviously has been changing for a good long while. Um, But maybe the big takeaway is that really when it comes to raising your kids in an entertainment-saturated environment, you know, trust, you got to be really careful with where you put your trust. Oh, I think that's exactly right. And I think that, you know, we're talking about trust on two different levels. We're talking about how much trust do we or don't we have in the the services that are bringing us content and then building trust with our kids. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to trust them. But on the flip side, it's not just about enforcing standards. I think that we want to be cultivating relationships where they trust us too, you know, where mm-hmm. they can come to us and say, Hey, I saw this and I kind of feel weird about it. Right. We don't want to be cultivating punitive relationships. Like if our kids think, oh, mom and dad are going to be so mad if they find out I saw X, Y or Z. Um, You know, I think about even during covid, um, my son came to me and said he had just finished the entire run of Breaking Bad. I'm like, (laughs) well, here is. A case study in failure, <laughs> right? You're like, didn't uh, you mean? Don't you mean Dr. John... Quinn, Medicine Woman? Is that what you finished? <laughs> yeah, no. And, and it speaks to everything we're talking about here. Uh, and he had found out about it from his friends, and it was a thing with yeah. their friends. I'm like, okay, we need to circle back and talk about some of the content stuff, but. I'm not going to just like drop the, I can't believe you did that hammer. Um, But I think that, you know, there's a part of me with this Disney story that 
I'm 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 kind of sad, mm-hmm. right? And and I haven't been at a place for a long time, and probably most of us haven't, where we think of Disney as the wonderful world of Disney, right? Right. right. Um, but I used to differentiate Disney and HBO. <laughs> they used to feel yeah, like yeah. they were in different categories. Yeah, yeah and, and sure. now you know it's Max now, but uh, instead of HBO. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to try to provide everything. There's a huge spectrum of content out there. Uh, so to Jonathan's point, we want to be cultivating relationships of trust. And and I do think one other thing on the, on the parental apps, I think they're especially useful with younger kids mm-hmm. in keeping people from stumbling into something inadvertently because yep. that's a Absolutely. real issue as well. So. Sure, sure. You mentioned yeah. in your blog that Disney has sort of been struggling financially and this is yeah. sort of a step, at least initially, it seems like it's a positive step as far as investors go. Yeah. Do you think sitting in Disney's seat here, is this going to pay off for them? I don't know. I mean, I think that Disney is in a place of desperation. I think they are coming at it from the perspective of more is more. You know, we're going to offer people more. So <laughs> more is more. the value proposition <laughs> they think is we're going to give them everything. And I just wonder how many families are going to look at it and say, you know, I don't want a bunch of R-rated and M-rated stuff. From Disney. Mm-hmm. That's not why I go to Disney. And I yeah. I think the yeah. jury is out as far as I'm concerned about whether this will be a successful venture for mm-hmm. them or not. And it, and it is interesting because, I mean, like you pointed out in your blog, which I thought was so good, Adam, it's not like Disney has you know, always been you know, innocent. I mean, there's right. been stuff where parents have need to be what you mentioned, like the Deadpool films right. are, I mean, are on Disney, right? Exactly. You know, I mean, those, the, a lot of content issues there. Just a lot of attitude, a lot of, you know, even without, if, if you caught the TV version of Deadpool, there's a lot of attitude and <laughs> stuff. Turns out there was that, no dialogue want, though at all. Yeah, yeah, it was really <laughs> they weird. they had to censor um, all of it. <laughs> absolutely. It, it's like listening to a little Wayne song radio version. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the, the, That's uh, funny. It's it, funny. Is little Wayne actually even still singing? Anyway, I think but the so, thing but is, um, but, but moving, <laughs> uh, moving on. It's like a Cardi B song, you know, radio version. But the thing is, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things where um, I think we as parents just, it, it's, it's a good reminder that we can't ever get lazy and just kind of walk away and be like, yeah. okay, cool, that that's safe. I can leave them unmonitored with that. And, and it's and, and and again, let me not hint that. So we need to be stalking our children twenty four seven. I mean, they're, they're, it's hard. I mean, we, we have lives and and they need to be doing it. But I think sometimes we're we got to be careful of the careless of, hey, all my nine and 10 year olds friends have devices. So let me give them that device. And hey, don't be stupid with this thing. Okay. And then just let them go. That is not a world we need to live in. And in all honesty, we shouldn't also be so overly stringent that, you know, it's like, well, you're going to be 18 next week and you still can't have a phone. Here's your flip you know, phone. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and they're going to have to, you know, and, and guaranteed when they're 18, they're going to move out and they're going to learn it all by themselves because nobody's ever <laughs> talked to them about it. Well, you know, so we right. got to engage in these conversations. We, and It's one of those opportunities where, again, where if our kids are talking with us, Adam, you said something so good about, you know, what happens when, you know, they do something or stumble upon something, are they going to come to you? And it's a question I always ask parents is, are you approachable? Yep. Are you just going to freak out or are you approachable? And I know that that's where I failed big time as a parent, uh, especially my earlier years. And, and I feel like I wish, man, if I could go back and have a parenting do-over for me, 
being that approachable parent where if our kids mess up, knowing that, man, God's grace is bigger than this, and we're going to get through this together, and let's dialogue about this, and let's talk about good decision-making. It doesn't mean you can do anything you want, but let's, let's talk about this, and let's talk about what truth looks like. I want to riff on one of the things you just said, Jonathan, because I think it, it's, um, it's part of the reality of parenting, and that is we can all look back and see, ugh. I blew it there. And I wish if I had a do-over, maybe I would be more strict in some areas. Maybe I would focus more on relationship in others. I think especially with our first kids, we tend to be pretty Mm -hmm. Um, Mm rules-oriented. And so we can look back and see, oh, we could have done that better. I also think there's another longitudinal thing that happens as our kids get older. Um, My 17-year-old came to me the other day and said, and, and I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have been recording this. He said, dad, I'm so glad you waited till I was 13 mm. before I got my first phone because I had a chance wow. to grow and, and I didn't have to deal with the self-control stuff. Uh, and so I just want to pat myself on the back for, <laughs> for getting that right. And, but in the moment, you know, when our kids are chopping at the bit for, I got to have it, I got to have it, I got to have it. And we're the, the countercultural voices saying, Hold up. We're going to not go there yet. Sometimes even our kids looking back are able to see that that we made the right choice there. So I know we're kind of free associating from our initial topic here, but um, it's messy, right? All of this stuff, parental controls, how we how we deal with this stuff. Uh, But stay in the game. Keep talking, build relationship. Um, and, uh, and I think that those things will pay dividends. Yeah. And I think that that's part of what plugged in exists for, right? Exactly. To help you stay in the game, to help you, you know, build those relationships and hopefully to give you the tools that you need to make good entertainment choices. We, uh, we will definitely be having a tutorial on how to handle Disney and Hulu's, uh, du- parental controls. Dulu. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, or, we will have that as or maybe soon, his knee. <laughs> as soon as we can get that. Get that on our site. We will definitely help you sort of navigate that world and, and all the other worlds that I know that you guys are dealing with in, uh, in this entertainment culture of ours. So thanks so much, guys. Thank you. All right. Now it is time for a little game we call Name That Movie. Mm-hmm. And because we're talking about Christmas stories and because we're talking about an unusual Christmas story mm-hmm. and a Christmas carol, let's talk about movies that are Christmas movies or are they? So. Did the pause need to be that one? The, the pause no. needed to be there. That was for dramatic effect. <laughs> that was effect. So dramatic. dramatic effect. <laughs> was I supposed to say something there? So why don't we launch in and talk a little bit about Christmas movies that may or may not be Christmas movies. Can Emily, I? I'm going to go with you first. Ooh. I have to remember what I was going to do. <laughs> um, oh, and we have to guess, by the way. I forgot yeah, to tell the Yeah, we've got to guess rules. what the movie is. Yeah, so you say the oh, movie, a, a sentence about the movie, and we have to guess what it Log is. Logline. Logline. Yep. Okay. Sounds very professional. Time for name that movie. Okay. All right. Yule Logline. That's what it is this Ooh. time. <clears throat> okay. Okay. In this wintry wonderland, some siblings attempt to defeat a witch. Narnia. Yeah. Oh. I knew there was no way I was going to be able to say that without getting it right away. I, I don't think that's right. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mind your business. It's the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but it is Narnia. If you would like me to always winter, never in Christmas. Order, I will. Thank you. Close enough. 
All right, Mr. Hoos. All right. Now, mine's obscure, so you're not going to get it. But that's okay. Um, th- this one, okay. It, 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 it sort of ties in because of the, the ghost theme, but here it is. A demon named Pitch is sent to Earth to get children to do bad things. What in the... What? That's really creepy. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It's a 1959 movie. Of course it is. <laughs> a demon named Pitch. Merry Christmas, everyone. We're talking about demons. <laughs> <laughs> These are not Christmas movies. All right. All right. Okay. You got to give it to us. Santa Claus versus the devil. What? Oh. My, this is a film? It is. In fact, it won. It won what was called the Golden Gate Award for International Family Film. Is it good? You are Best International Family Film. Did wow. you like it? No. Oh. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, it's incredibly cheesy. It's, it's, it was actually made in Mexico. Oh, It was okay. a Mexican film. But, uh, but I thought it was obscure enough and bizarre enough that I could bring it to this. That wow. is fantastic. Okay, Man. so that feels like it's drawing off of, like, because you said it was made in Mexico. There yeah. are a lot of, like, secular Christmas traditions that deal with, like, basically an anti-Santa Claus. So, and they're all kind Krampus. of demonic. Um, yeah. Yes, Krampus was one I was thinking of. But this one, this one was, yeah. was bizarre in a different way. Santa Claus was in outer space, and it was, it was bizarre. Well, Santa Claus in outer space! <laughs> Oh, I have okay. to see it. Okay, so I was trying to help you out. Now I'm, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a bad movie party. All right. Okay. She likes the smell of fall and bouquets of sharpened pencils. Oh, goodness. The smell of fall and the bouquets. It's got to be a Meg Ryan movie. Now, Emily knows it, but before she says it, do you guys know it? No. So not it's not Meg Ryan? I'm not going to confirm or deny. She can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) You must guess. Sleepless in Seattle? No. No. Your your description is very poetic, I must say. Thank you. It's one of my favorite lines in the movie, but go ahead. Don't know. It's You've Got Mail. Oh. And Emily knew that. Yeah. She gave it to me. I, I just not want to think about it. That yeah. is definitely... And, okay. And what was the predecessor to that? What was the movie that that actually came from? I shop around the yep. corner. Yes. There we go. A little bit of trivia. Wow. Very good. Very good. All right. <laughs> I've had this conversation with you before. <laughs> I still haven't watched it, though. I'm oh, sad well, to should. say. But I know I will. Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> so this is one that... Oh, Paul didn't go yet. I have not gone yet. So, And I will win. I'm just saying that right now. Your own game? Okay. Yes, my own game. All right. Who else is going to... Ashley's not here to give points, so... Okay. A struggling inventor looks for and finds a very unique Christmas present for his son. But the thing comes with some rules, including never feed it after midnight. Gremlins! Oh, yeah, Gremlins. That movie scarred me as a child. I was almost going to say Hugo because it started yes, to sound I a little like Hugo. Yes, I thought it was Hugo as well. <laughs> yeah, but Hugo that, doesn't even take place in Christmas, though. Know, it feels Christmassy. Uh, still, yeah. No, I, I almost thought you were talking about the Arnold Schwarzenegger film, Jingle All the Way. <laughs> oh, that would have <laughs> been that, fun. But that actually is a Christmas Next movie. <laughs> year. Next year, we'll talk about that. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a truly festive conversation. Thanks so much for coming around this pre-Christmas feast. We've had a great time unwrapping this conversation. And if you've liked what you've heard, why not tell your friends? Give them the gift of the Plugged In Show. It's free, and you don't even have to wrap it. 
Oh, and leave a comment for us wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're in that giving spirit, why not give us your own thoughts? Do you still love A Christmas Carol? Or are you more the bah hubbug type of person? <laughs> what are your favorite Christmas traditions? Let us know on Facebook and Instagram or send us an email at team at show.com or leave us a message on our own Plugged In Show homepage. Thanks again for spending some time with us. The time you spend here is truly a gift to us. Join us again for another episode of the Plugged In Show very, very soon, and God bless us, everyone. It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com radio.